Thank you, musicians, and John, Randy, thank you for the music this morning. And take your Bibles, if you wouldn't, let's go to the book of Mark, chapter number 9. Mark, chapter number 9, and uh, we'll look in uh, the last section of this chapter this morning as we finish Mark 9. We find our place here, we'll read together, and then I'd like to just kind of walk us through where we've been the last several weeks and give us a lead into this passage, if we could, this morning. So we'll begin in verse number 42, and we'll read down through verse number 50. And so if you found your place, let's stand to our feet in honor of the Word of God, if you can. Mark chapter number 9, verse 42. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believeth, believes in me... It is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter in halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. And where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost his saltiness, Wherewith will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Would you join me in a word of prayer this morning as we continue? Father, your word is sufficient uh, to speak to us this morning, and Lord, we rest in that this morning. For we are mindful that we do not come this way to hear the mere voice of a man. But Father, we want to hear your word speak to us. And Lord, may we listen intently, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us a heart to understand. Lord, may we be willing to stay under the teaching of your word long enough for it to do its work in us. Or may we not be quickly moved by the cares of this life away from the truth of your word and give opportunity to the enemy to steal the seed away. Lord, we ask you that the gravity of the text would rest on us this morning and that the hope of Jesus would encourage us this morning. And we'll praise you for your goodness and praise you for your mercy that are always so evident. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we ask all these things. Amen. You can be seated there. We just say a good morning to you and how good it is to see you out in the Lord's house this morning. So many of you, uh, week after week now for the last several weeks, have been making a point to gather on the 11 o'clock hour, and we're very pleased with that. Um, let me say thank you for your patience uh, with us as we're trying to walk back into this in a faithful and a Christ-honoring way as well. We appreciate your patience with that. And we want to continue to do that as the Lord would lead us to do so. And uh, we're looking forward to the 16th of August and uh, that night when we share kind of our heart about the next school year together. And of course, to remind you again that we are meeting on Wednesday nights and would encourage you again to come out and be a part of that. Um, if you're able. Three Sundays back, uh, we were in this same chapter, 
as we continue our series through the book of Mark. And with a series like this, uh, we find uh, necessities and opportunities could kind of pause for a minute and give us uh, maybe a little bit of uh, a diversion from our series through the text. And the pause we had was for the 4th of July weekend, and we talked to you about the importance of being a uh, a rooted Christian, that we are rooted in Christ, that we're not a cut flower Christian. And we showed the parallel of our society being a cut flower society with no roots to the truth that birthed us in the first place. And then last week, we had the privilege of hearing from Josh Stewart, our missionary to Ireland, and he was challenging us on the importance of the right motivation. Um, and the last time we were in this text, though, we picked up the theme, In My Name. And that was the theme through the entire uh, lesson we were in. And we're still kind of in the same discourse here that Jesus had in, uh, with the apostles. And if you remember, the apostles were fighting over who was going to be the preeminent one, who was the most important. Uh, and we, we wonder what brought this discussion on. Maybe it was there a lack of ability to cast out the demon, and, or maybe it was the fact that Peter, James, and John had gone up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they felt like that they were kind of on the inside track. And, and so this discussion or this quarrel went on, who is the greatest among you? And Jesus sets them straight very quickly and begins to try to instruct them in the heart of Christian servanthood. And when we look at this theme in my name, Jesus warns against lording over each other, uh, but calls us to a servant mentality toward one another. It's the Philippians 2 Christianity, that we would seek the needs of others before our own, that we would look to others' needs before we look to ourselves. We miss the servant leadership. When we miss servant leadership or servanthood, we miss the gospel. Um, We're missing the whole point of it because Jesus came and he said in his very words, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And so in this world, we have the, the drive and in all of human nature, the drive to be preeminent, to be first, to be in the front, to climb the ladder. And all of this is contrary to what Christ is teaching us. That he's teaching is that it is not power over, but power under. That is what we're looking for. That we do not use position or authority to gain for ourselves, but to build for others. And that is the goal of all of our Christian ethic. So Jesus shows us this ministry is not just to those uh, who we see as prestigious, but to the least of these. We're called to minister to the least of these. And he uses the illustration, if you remember, the little child. And, and I see Billy on the front row here in the lap. And that's exactly what Jesus would have done with a little guy. He'd have picked him up and put him on his knee. And I was looking around the room this morning and seeing so many of our young people and uh, here with their parents this morning. It encourages my heart to see them here in the Lord's house. And Jesus pulls them in and sets them on the knee and says, hey, when you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me reach down. And Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't reach to those who we consider to have position or clout. But he is saying that there should be no spectrum of society that we don't reach to. And as I pointed out this morning, the answer, if we were this morning to go to what we would call the down and out of society, and we were to find the person who is strung out on drugs with a major addiction and maybe on a, a multitude of a string of relationships that are broken and left them scarred, and we find them without any financial resources, and we find them in great 
peril in society's eyes, I would say to you that the answer for that person is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what they need. But I also would say to you that if we were to drive here in Shelby Township and we find somebody who's working a white-collar job, making a six-figure income, and their wife and he had been married for 20 years, and he's got a nice vacation house up north, and everything seems to be going picturesque, his need is still the Lord Jesus Christ. Because hell is just as real for those who are down and out as those who are well off. And so he is not saying that our ministry should only be to the down and outer, but it should be to all spectrum. There should be no one that is left without the ministry of the gospel. And so Jesus is warning them that when we reach down, and then he says that I want you not only to be willing to uh, minister to those who society would deem insignificant, but I also want you to be willing to do what society would deem insignificant. Give a cup of water in my name. And so it's a very simple ministry. Nobody gets badges. Nobody gets awards for handing out water. It's a very simple ministry. And yet Jesus says if we do a simple ministry to insignificant people in his name, we're guaranteed of our reward. And so this is where it brings us to our text this morning. I would ask you this morning, are we willing to minister to the insignificant by doing the insignificant? And when I say insignificant, we put that in the the quotes. So he says, in his name. Now, Jesus now is going to turn to the negative warning of the text. He's been very positive. He's very encouraging of challenging, of doing things in his name, of giving a cup of cold water, and now he's going to give some warnings. Now, these passages of Scripture are not as always pleasant as the others, but they're just as much Scripture, and I think they bear our attention this morning. So what I want to do is to tell you this morning the text of my message is being false to his name being false to his name. How is it that we as believers who believe the Lord Jesus Christ know him as our Savior, and we then can be false to the name of Jesus? Now, I need you to turn with me to Matthew, and I should have instructed you to do it earlier, but turn to Matthew chapter number 7, if you would. Matthew chapter number 7, in his name, it is very possible for someone to claim the name of Christ, but never know him. And the warning here in this text is parallel to what we're going to read as well. In Matthew chapter number 7, 21 through 23, here's what it says. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many, many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, Have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Very clear. Now, I will give great encouragement in this text. I find encouragement. He doesn't say, I knew you and I forgot you. He said, I never knew you. You were never a part of the family. You were on the outside looking in. And here in this text, we see people who were doing mighty works in his name. And yet in doing mighty works in his name, Jesus says, I never knew you. They were false to his name. You see, spiritual position, 
spiritual uh, knowledge, spiritual gifting, these things that God gives to men naturally can be used for self-glory and not for God's glory. And in that deception, a man who thinks he's on his way to heaven could very well be on his way to hell if his confidence is in his work and not Christ's work. The only hope we have is not how well we exercise spiritual gifts, but whether or not our faith rests in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the hope of salvation this morning. So go back with me to Mark chapter number 9. And as that is a backdrop of where we're at, I want to define a few terms for us as a way of instruction to hopefully pave the way for the balance of the sermon this morning. First off, I want you to see the word offend. In our King James, we find in verse number 42 that whosoever shall offend one of these little ones. Now that word has been stretched greatly in our society. Um, It's, I can't believe that person didn't shake my hand. Or, why didn't you call me back? You're offended. And uh, the, we can look around the room. How many of you have ever been in a place where somebody, you, you look, they look right at you and then they didn't say anything? And then you build a whole narrative. Oh, I can't, they looked right at me and didn't even say hi. I can't, what's their deal? How come they're mad at me? And, you know, and it never crossed your mind that they're having trouble with their car and trying to figure out how to get it fixed before work tomorrow. It doesn't cross your mind that there may be something else on their mind besides you. Hard to believe, isn't it? That people could actually think of other people instead of you. And we get offended by those things. This is not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about somebody taking your parking place or taking your seat, Brother Tom. Sorry about that. Uh, He's not talking about that kind of offense. Uh, We're not talking about somebody uh, just being rude to you. How many of somebody's ever been rude to you before? Okay, good. A few of you. The rest of you are asleep, and now I'm offended that you're asleep. And, uh, but we're, we're, we've all had people treat us wrongly, and we've gotten our feelings hurt. This is not what he's talking about here. This offense literally means to be a stumbling block to cause to sin. One translation of the text says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin. So it's a heavy thing. You're causing or leading someone that is the least of these or any on the spectrum into sin, then this is a very heavy condemnation that Jesus is going to lay out. Then, of course, we mentioned the little ones already. The term little ones does not just mean children. It means anyone who is overlooked or insignificant. I would ask you this morning, is there anyone here that you feel like you're doing God a favor by ministering to them? Is there anybody in your world that you think, well, I would have them to dinner, but they just don't quite fit in? That's a dangerous place in our hearts. And we need to be very careful. Jesus is very clear. He said, when you minister, when you have people to dinner, don't just invite those who can invite you, but invite those who can invite you. Don't have the mentality that we are above and someone else is beneath. And so the little ones, he said, I want you to go all the way to those who are deemed insignificant. And then we see the word salt. Now, at the end of this text, this is an interesting passage because it's almost like the, the, the narrative shifts a bit and he begins talking about salt. And he ends in verse number 49, with everyone shall be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt had lost its saltiness, 
wherewith will you season it, have salt in yourself, and have peace one with another. And so this term salt, what is being pictured here is Jesus using, using uh, the, the Jewish understanding of sacrifice to drive a point home. Remember in Matthew, Jesus already said in one place that ye are the salt of the earth in chapter 5 of Matthew. You're the salt of the earth. And so he's called his disciples a salt. What it was salt for? Salt was to a sacrifice of meat what the absence of leaven was to bread. Leaven taken out of bread represented it being set apart to God. Salt in meat, a purifier, a preservative, was placed on all sacrifices because it was set apart to God. And so when he says that meat was salted, he's saying in Leviticus chapter 2 and 13, with all thy offerings thou shalt offer salt. Everything was to be salted with salt. We even see Colossians giving us the admonition, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. And the concept here is that it is set apart to God. That our, our language, our actions, yeah, our life, we are set apart sacrifices for him, for his glory, in his name. So we'll come back around to that in just a moment. So now let's return to verse number 42 if we could. And whosoever shall offend or cause to sin one of these little ones that believe in me. It is better for him to have a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. Cause to sin, a little one. When we take the name of Christ upon us and we claim to be servants of Christ and then we use our position to cause others to stumble, Christ comes with this heavy warning. We think often that taking the name of Christ or God in vain has to do with using profanity. And it could on some instances. But I think the majority of the time when we think of taking God's name in vain is that we say we represent him and yet we live opposite of him. We say we love the Lord Jesus Christ and yet we would use our position to lord over that we might build our own selfish ambition we went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. We know more about God than you do. We're definitely going to be the most important people in the kingdom. And they were looking to exalt themselves, looking to do so even at the expense of putting down someone else. And here Jesus is warning them. He's saying, if you do this with your position, apostles, if you go and you use your apostleship in a way that would run down others, you are worthy of having a stone hung about your neck and cast into the deep. He said, you seek preeminence, and by your seeking of preeminence, you will cause others to follow your pattern. And let me make very clear that when James warns teachers of the gospel... He says, many of you should not be teachers because there is a greater condemnation there. There's a greater responsibility. And as we take the name of Christ, every believer in this room, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you carry that responsibility. And we have a responsibility not to use our knowledge or our position to extort or to oppress those who teach or lead here at Shelby Bible Church. Your behavior matters. We cannot take people where we have not gone with the Lord. 
We must know the Lord and pursue him. We must take seriously the role of our deacons who take the role, the trustees who lead, those who teach and lead in a class of sitting in that role with importance and seeing it. Now, why might we cause them to sin? There's many reasons why someone could be offended. Now, I'll say something here. The number one person the word offense is associated with in the Bible is Jesus himself. It is said of him on many occasions that he offended And what we mean by this, I think there's three things I want you to see. One is unavoidable. The other two are something we must caution ourselves on. And I think the further we go down the list, the closer we get to what the text is dealing with. The first one is what I'm going to call an innocent cause of offense. And that is when you stand in a certain place. We as a church stand upon biblical marriage. And we do so because we believe we are bound by Scripture to do so. And so we stand there, and our society is, is far away from that today, and it drifts further and further from that position. And here's the reality. Many will be angered by our stand. But we stand there nonetheless, and we stand there faithfully, and as we stand there, people will be upset by our position, but let us not that they be upset by our disposition. Do we not add reason to give offense by an attitude of superiority or some kind of moralistic stand, but we stand upon the word of God because here's what we believe about scripture. We believe God sets boundaries not for being a cosmic killjoy. God's not just looking down thinking, hmm, what do they enjoy doing? Let me make that illegal. That's not how God operates. God looks down and says, what is for the benefit of society and human flourishing? Now let me set boundaries around them to keep them inside those green pastures and those still waters. And God has a heart to see us flourish. And so when we see God's plan, we stand there and some will be offended. Many went away from Jesus sorrowful. Many left him offended and angry. Because of where he stood. And that, I believe, is the innocent offense that is unavoidable in a fallen world. However, there's two other offenses. This one, I think, moves us closer to the center. And then the final one will land us there. It's the careless or passive offense. It's just not walking with circumspect. It's not guarding our words. It's flippantly using language that is not pleasing to the Lord that could cause a young one to stumble or a young Christian to stumble. It is exercising liberties that you may feel free to have, but you do so in front of brothers who are weaker brothers, and you're not walking circumspect. And we are given great liberty in Scripture, and I think there are areas in which every Christian has to come down where they're going to stand on it. But here's the thing. Paul says, if, my, if eating meat causes my brother to offend... I'll eat no meat while the world stands. Paul says, I'll walk away from it all if it means causing a brother to be offended. And it's saying that we want to walk carefully with our language. That means the jokes we tell. They ought to be handled in a way that would be pleasing and honoring to God. That means the posts we make on social media. That means the way we handle ourselves in the public world, that we walk with a way that is circumspect and is disciplined of understanding that I don't get to walk through a battlefield flippantly, but I walk through a battlefield aware that I have responsibility. Everybody here is an example to someone else. I read a book years ago, and it was written uh, by uh, Steve Farrer. And I'd recommend it to all the dads if you get a copy of it, but it was entitled Point Man. 
And the book, uh, the, the premise of the book, he opens it up with this scenario. He said, picture that you're in the jungles of Vietnam during the Vietnam conflict. And you're called to walk point for your platoon. You're the first one to take a bullet if there's a sniper. You're the first one to step on a landmine. You're the one that has to stay vigilant at every moment. And he said, now remove the platoon of men from behind you and put your wife and children behind you. And the picture was so stark. And he said, and now let me remind you, you walk in a battle today that is far more eternal than that battle ever could be. Because how we walk and how we carry ourselves is so gravely important. And the words of Jesus here, when you cause a little one to offend, he said, there is heavy consequence. He said an active or a purpose. The last one here, and I think this is where our text rests firmly, is an active or purposeful offense. These are those who would willingly and with malice of a forethought use position or power or the name of Christ to offend someone for their own gain, to cause to sin, to lead astray, preying on someone uh, wherever they are with, with this power over them and the influence over them. And the perfect illustration of this is the Pharisees themselves. As they would, they would devour widows' houses and they would make pretense of long prayers to show themselves doing things in the name of God. And yet what they would do is they would go to young men who had wealth and say, don't care for your elderly parents, but commit that in a trust to the temple. And so that way when you die, your parents can't get that. It'll just be bequeathed to them. And that way too, they can't spend it up right now. And they were defying the law of God in order for their own gain and their selfish greed. And, and all of this is going on. We see this happening in the Old Testament on occasion with Hophni and Phinehas at the temple and how that they were doing things for their own greed and gain. And we see this perversion even in our day and age now when men would use the name of Christ to make themselves wealthy. And there is no, there is no quarter for this kind of false handling of the Scripture. There's no quarter for this taking the name of Christ. And, and as we read the next text, I want to remind you that these are not the words of a radical Baptist preacher. These are the words of the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus Christ, the sweet Lord Jesus that never offends anyone, that never has a harsh word, right? And he looks, and here's what he says. He says, uh, verse number 42, if you offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. Well, he must have been having a bad day, didn't really know what he was saying, right? No, he's pronouncing the severity of the sin. And he says it's better for them. And a millstone would have been a 12 to 18 inch in diameter stone that was made to ground the meal. And probably each house would have had something like this. It was a cylinder and they would take that stone and lay it over their neck. And we see the picture of it being placed on their chest. And the next thing we see is them sitting at the bottom of the sea. And the word cast means there not to rise again. It was a final judgment that he's pronouncing on them. I, I let that sit on us this morning because we have great responsibility. Let us never use our authority, our faculties, our abilities to cause a little one to stumble into sin. Let us call one another to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Those in position were causing them to sin. But then he goes so further, he said, now, those of you that are in positions, you could cause others to sin, but what's going on in your life that's causing you to sin in the first place? And so he drives it back home, and as the Lord Jesus Christ does when he's teaching, he never leaves things on the outside. He always runs them all the way back to the heart of the issue, and he gets back to where we live. And so he says then in the next text, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed, having two hands, to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. He said, hey, he said, if you are being offended, if you're being caused to be sinned by your faculties or your powers or your gifting, then it'd be better to cut off that access to power, position, or authority than to continue to sin. Because to continue to walk this way is sending you in a direction that you don't want to go. It's interesting how these words sink very heavy on me. You see, your sin unaddressed will cause others to sin. Sin has a corrupting influence in the life of a person. But the problem with sin is it never stays where it starts. It always spreads in the life of other people around them. And it always corrupts children and it corrupts wives and husbands and, it, and it, it tears things apart that God loves. And sin always wants to seep out and that's why Jesus is calling for a radical dealing with sin. Cut it off. Deal with it swiftly. And we can run our minds, and I think rightly so, to addictions. But I think to stay in, in the position of the text here this morning, we have to just literally stay with the sin of selfish ambition. Because it is the sin of selfish ambition that we find ourselves. Vanity runs wild and makes idols of self. And we see that on every spectrum of our society today where it's me, me, me. And he says, hey, if that is causing to offend, cut it off. If a job is causing you to stumble, walk away from it. If a relationship, a friend is causing you to stumble, walk away from it. Cut it off. If a position of authority, if, if a pastorate is causing you to stumble, cut it off. You see, any power or faculty is expendable to have a heart right with God and man. Positions, reputation, are expendable to have a heart right with God and man. And he's calling us to very swift and severe action. So I would say two things need to happen. When we find ourselves stumbling in sin because of our selfish ambition and prideful indulgence, then we need to have, first off, radical amputation. That means some need to get rid of social media. Radical amputation. Some need to get rid of your cell phone. Here's the thing this morning. I wonder how many of us would read more scripture if we didn't have our phone in our hand so often. And so if your phone is causing you to offend, cut it off. And having a seriousness about your walk with God, having a seriousness that moves you to want to pursue Christ, because here is the warning. It is better to enter into life with one hand 
than they're into hell or death with two hands. You see, here's the thing about sin. I believe firmly that we are sealed under the day of redemption by the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe the Holy Spirit of God moves inside of us the day we got saved, and through his power, he seals us and conforms us to the image of his son. But here's what I also believe. Sin is so deceptive. He can cause you to rest on your laurels and think that a prayer you prayed is enough. Because here's the thing. If sin is present in my life and it's not dealt with, it could deceive me all the way into hell. Now, I know that's heavy. And it is my heart as a pastor to want to go and let me lift that off of you for a second. But I do think as we preach through verse at a time through a text, these heavy verses come for a purpose. And I think what we need to do is let them sit on us for a second. And let them weigh down. Not that somehow or another my self-reformation could ever save me. But make no mistake, sin could deceive me. It is only the Lord Jesus Christ that is our hope. It is only faith in him that redeems us from sin. But if we be children without chastisement, Hebrews tells us we are illegitimate and not sons. And he warns us very firmly. And so the warning stands in front of us this morning. So when the weight Uh, When we weigh right and wrong by what we may lose on this side of eternity, we are missing the gravity of sin and we are taking his name in vain. I've sat with, with men who've made grave errors. And you can tell the heart of someone who is seeking God when they're more grieved about what their sin has done to God than they are about what their sin has cost them. Godly sorrow is focused on the heart of God. Worldly sorrow is focused on what I'm losing. And too often we look at sin as like it's a gamble. We'll roll the dice. Ah, I didn't lose that much. It's okay. And yet every time we enter into that transgression, we are grieving the very heart of God. Now, are you saying, Pastor, that somehow or another that someone cannot sin who is a believer? No. Believers fail. It's just rain, folks. I know you haven't, we haven't seen much of that lately, but that's what that is, okay? Um, so the, we, um, I know that we can, we can be deceived by this, but let me, let me challenge us to let it weigh heavy on us. So then what do we learn from these verses? Here's what we learn. We learn three things. Number one, sin has great consequence. Sin brings destruction. The wages of sin is death. And this morning, young people, I don't care that you've been saved since you were two and a half years old and you got saved before you were even born, some of you. You've been in church all of your life. That's wonderful and great that you got saved when you were young. And I rejoice with you on it and I prayed every one of my children, God, help them come to know you as their Savior at a very young age. Help them understand who Jesus is and come to an awareness of their sinfulness and accept Christ. And I rejoice in that. Let me say this, even for believers, sin brings death. Sin brings death. And the weight of sin, the consequence of sin is great. We sing this song, and it was, it was actually a little quote that was given and put into a song later on. But sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Every time. Sin always promises to give us this 
wonderful and awesome reward if we'll just buy into it for a moment. But every time, it's like clickbait on the internet. You're not going to get that house for $29.99. It's not going to happen. And there is no prince in Europe somewhere who wants to send you a half million dollars. It's not true. And we can buy into these false claims and somehow or another our heart with its selfish ambition runs to those things thinking there's a get rich quick scheme. There's a get happy quick scheme. And sin sells that nonsense and leaves us with emptiness. Sin has great consequences. Number two, I want you to hear this. Eternal judgment is real. Eternal judgment is real. You say, now, Pastor, that's kind of like preaching to the choir. We believe there's eternal judgment. But I say that to remind us as a church because the whole of Christianity, and I put that in quotations here, is walking swiftly away from the idea of a literal judgment. That somehow or another God has the right or even the nature that would judge sin. If you ever wonder what God thinks about sin, look what he did to his son on the cross. And we can know that God will judge sin. And those who reject him will spend eternity in a literal place called hell and will burn for eternity. And that did not give us joy, but it should give us great pause. And it should rest heavy on our soul this morning that there is a hell. And it is God's judgment on sin. I believe it was C.S. Lewis who said that God calls man to say, not my will, but thy will be done. And when man rejects him, hell is God saying, thy will be done. And God has rejected man, and there is a judgment, there is a lake of fire, there is a final torment that will be eternal. And quite frankly, this morning, I can't even comprehend it. To put my mind on the idea of eternal judgment, it boggles the intellect. And yet we believe it because the word of God says it. And so we warn you from it. See, this is not an allegory, but a place. Then finally, undealt with sin should give us great pause. Let the weight of the text this morning rest on you. If your hand calls you to fin, uh, be offended, cut it off, and make sure you are right with God. You see, the conviction of God rests on us and I cannot know what God is doing in your heart, but you know what God's doing in your heart. Don't reject it. Run toward it. You see, conviction from the Spirit of God is an invitation for closer fellowship. He wants to fellowship with us. He wants to be made right with us. So now we come to the unusual part of the text, at least to our ears in verse number 49. Everyone shall be salted with fire. Continuing with the context, there's two fires being referenced here. First off, hellfire is being referenced, and then personal uh, discipline, or it's that spiritual discipline, if we could call it that way. It's cut it off. It's walk away from it. It's stop. And so either we deal with sin drastically, or we face the judgment drastically. And I think here, we can say there is either the fire of hell, or it's the radical abandonment of ourselves and personal sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because everyone will be salted with fire. In other words, judgment will fall on everyone. But the only ones that are safe from that judgment are those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ. For he has taken the judgment fire for us. 
And as we stand inside of him, he's the one that takes the fire on our behalf. And so then Christ is using the Old Testament illustration. And he says, we then are the salt of the earth. Just as Old Testament sacrifices were salted with salt to show that they were set apart for the name of the Lord, salt was saying here that you are set apart to his name, not your name. We are set apart for his glory, not our glory. Look at verse number 50. Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost its saltiness, wherewith will you season it? So what are we saying here? Let me reword this and make application with this. If those who bear my name seek selfish ambition and selfish indulgence, what other source of sanctification is there? If those of you who are to be the salt of the world are not salty, where is salt going to come from? Where would purification come from? Where would power over sin come from? Because there is no other source of life outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if the salt has lost its saltiness, how is it going to be salted ever again? If salt is not salty, where is the purification? And if Christians are not surrendered to the name of Christ, then who will be? Who will be doing things in his name and not for their name? It refers back to the opening argument in verse 34. Who's the greatest among us? It's the selfish ambition. Jesus says, have salt in yourselves. What is he saying? Be a sacrifice set apart for my name. And he said, and what is that going to look like? When you are a sacrifice set apart for his name, what will it look like? Be at peace one with another. See, I think it comes full circle. It, when we are walking the right way, we're not going to have the infighting of who's the best among us. We're not going to be offended. Well, I wanted to be trustee and I didn't get asked. Well, why didn't that happen for me? And the pettiness and the infighting, those little things go away. Because here's the thing about a sacrifice. I think it was um, A.W. Tozer. He said, one thing you know about a man carrying a cross outside the city is he's not coming back. That's a heavy thought. And you and I as sacrifices, if we could lay ourselves down as living sacrifices, we would not be seeking selfish ambition, self-promotion, self-indulgence. We would say, Lord, let me be set apart for you and I can be at peace with my brothers and sisters. And here's the thing, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And so a surrendered sacrifice is not looking for preeminence or indulgences. All of our discontentments, all of our struggle, all of our warring comes from lust-filled ambition, not a salt-sacrificed, uh, salt-filled sacrifice. So James 4 warns us of it. So then it is possible this morning to be deceived by sin. But let me call you to this. I don't know what your sin is or what you may have struggled with this week. And quite frankly, it doesn't matter. The blood of Jesus Christ has paid for it. And he opens his arm to all who will come to him in humble faith. It was once said, and I think rightly so, the cross has eternity to offer to the humble, repentant sinner. 
but it has nothing to offer the unrepentant sinner. This is where we stand this morning. If our hearts can say, Lord, here I am. I'm broken. I need you. In that moment, he comes to where we are. He restores us. He corrects us. How many have ever been corrected by the Lord? Yeah, I got, got my hands up. I'll throw another leg up there too. And thank him for his invitation to fellowship. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, thank you for your word. We ask you to add your blessing to the word of God this morning. Lord, as we walk through these texts of scriptures in the weeks to come even, that Lord, I pray, Father, you would help us do so with discipline and faithfulness. Help us to see your word for what it is. Help us to see ourselves for who we are. Lord, help us to walk, yea, run to you in the moment of our need. Holy Spirit of God, do a work in us. Let's stand to our feet if you would at this time. We're going to sing.